just verses 10 and 11. This is God's word. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That completes our, our passage. Peter here is writing to Christians who are scattered, suffering, and are facing a hostile culture, a hostile environment. Does that sound familiar? It's the kind of context in which Christians have been living and in which we live. It's immediately applicable to us, the context of, of Peter, explaining how the gospel works, explaining the role of the church. And what we are to do as Christians living in a hostile and confused culture is to continue to serve God and continue to serve one another, continue to serve the culture. That's the theme, that God has given us grace in order to serve God and serve each other. We do not give up serving in the small ways that God called us to. This is a familiar theme. We even see it in the culture. We see it in leadership in other ways. 62 years ago, January 20, 1961, during his inaugural speech, President John F. Kennedy challenged our country famously to ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. That president at that time could already see the American people wanted to be served. If they had served in the past, they just wanted to retire and coast along without serving anymore. The problem of wanting to be served was a problem older than America. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It's endemic to sinners. We want to be served instead of serving. The Apostle Peter's concern here in the letter of 1 Peter was that that thinking had showed up in the Christians who were scattered and discouraged and opposed and that this thinking was something that had to be changed. He reminded them here in the fourth chapter of his letter, his first letter, that the problem, stated briefly, was that having received God's grace, they were failing to use that grace for its intended purpose. The intended purpose of God to give us grace is to serve God with it and to serve others with it. We live in an age of watching screens. I sometimes think we watch more activities than we participate in. I'll watch a video on how to fix something in the house on YouTube, and I'll get so interested, I'll just watch video after video of how to fix it and not actually go do the job. And you're no different than I am. We are so active in our, part, our observing that we're not active in our participating. And it, it gets into the church. We tend to watch worship, whether it's in person or on the screen, rather than participating in worship. Whenever I had quarantine, whether my family was with me or I was alone, I would stand when the church stands and I would sing when the church sings the hymns. I challenge you to do that. Anytime you're in quarantine, to stand when we stand and sing when we sing and your family will notice your singing ability and it will be awkward, but you're worshiping God. 
Aren't we worshiping God? Because if I'm in quarantine and I don't stand and I don't sing, what's the alternative? Am I a spectator or a worshiper? Am I watching people worship or am I worshiping? I think we have to think this through. God teaches us in this passage that no one's a spectator to worship and furthermore, no one's a spectator to the Christian life. We don't just watch people serve God. We are always serving God. There's no retirement from being a Christian. There's a retirement from your work and your career, but there's no retirement from being a Christian. There's no season of life in which it's good and natural to pull away and not serve at all. There's no plateau we reach when we're permitted to skate along without serving God or anyone else. Serving is an essential and vital part of the Christian life like breathing is for a person. Peter has revealed here, my main point, say it this way, God has given us grace in order to serve God and serve each other. We could put it in the frame of a former president, ask not how your church can serve you. Ask how you can serve your church. So we'll go over in three points. We serve others with the gifts God gave, we receive from God with the strength God supplies and in order to honor God through Christ. So first, we serve others with the gifts received from God. Verse 10, beginning of our passage. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Here we get to talk about spiritual gifts. Uh, Everyone has a spiritual gift. Every single person who can hear my voice has a spiritual gift. Notice the beginning of verse 10. As Each has received a gift. So I just want to challenge you right off the top. If you're listening to this and you're thinking, God has not given me any spiritual gifts. If he had, I would be glad to serve with them, but I don't have any spiritual gifts. You need to be uh, stand corrected, to be corrected by this verse. Each Christian has a spiritual gift. That includes you. You have a spiritual gift. The person sitting next to you has a spiritual gift. The person sitting in front of you and behind you has a spiritual gift. We have to believe this. That's one clear lesson out of this verse. Another clear lesson out of this verse is a gift is a grace. And a grace is a gift. What's a spiritual gift? It's a grace from God. Spiritual gifts are displays of the grace of God, that God pours out good things on us. The grace of God is given in the form of spiritual abilities. Notice two phrases in verse 10 separated from one another. Has received a gift as good stewards of God's varied grace. Two phrases. Has received a gift as good stewards of God's varied grace. So gift is in the first phrase. Grace is in the second phrase. Every display of the grace of God can also be described as a gift from God. God's grace is given to us so that God's grace will be given away through us to others. This is why ladies tell ladies about discounts at certain stores. This is why men tell other men why there's free lures at the fishing expo. This is why God gives spiritual gifts in order for us to give God's grace away. Good stewards give it all away. Good stewards don't charge a fee for gifts from God. Good stewards don't ration gifts from God. We don't simply store it up and preserve it like fine china that's never to be used. 
Good stewards are generous and give it all away as fast as we can, as far as we can, to the most people that we can. That's being a good steward of the grace of God. That's the intent of God giving us grace. We're not warehousing grace. We're distributing grace. We are a distribution center of grace as a church and individually. A gift is a grace. That's our second main takeaway from verse 10. And our third main takeaway from verse 10 is there are many spiritual gifts. There are many spiritual gifts. The lists of spiritual gifts in the Bible are not written to be complete and exhaustive lists. The lists do not include every spiritual gift that God is able to give, every spiritual gift that God does regularly give. Since we know that you have a spiritual gift, we've established that, and that you must use your gift, what you need to know is, what is your spiritual gift? And I think we make a mistake in answering that question. It seems we come about it quite innocently based on a false assumption. Let me take you through the steps that I think Christians typically go. Our first mistake is when we say, what are my options? Show me the, uh, the drop-down list of what kinds of spiritual gifts there are, and I'll scan the list and I'll see which one sounds like me. And our wrong assumption there is that the list will show you your spiritual gift. You just have to find it in the list. That's not how it works. That's our first mistake. We are turning to a Bible list of spiritual gifts, such as 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 8, or even here, 1 Peter 4, 10, and 11, we're trying to find our gift within that list. What if we don't find any gifts on that list that seem to sound like us and apply to us? How could that be? Preachers said each person has a gift. My gift doesn't seem to be in any of the lists. How can that be? So you get discouraged, you get confused, you drop the matter, move on with your life, and never figure it out. Wait! Before you drop the matter, consider one truth that changes our whole process towards spiritual gifts. These lists are not intended to be comprehensive lists of spiritual gifts. That's a fundamental truth that will change how you go about this. These lists are not intended as comprehensive lists of gifts. For example, what if your spiritual gift is thoughtfulness? That is a grace from God. That is a gift from God. Not everybody has it. Am I right? We're Presbyterian, so we don't say amen, but there's a lot of amens and elbowing going on. The, the, the gift of thoughtfulness is not across the whole population, but it is a gift. It is a grace from God, and thoughtfulness is a spiritual gift from God. It's not in the lists. Or the gift of humor. Some of us are more funny than others. I have four children. One of them thinks I'm funny sometimes. So if that's across this population, it's pretty dismal, right? The gift of humor is what some people get from God. Isn't it a blessing to be around a cheerful person, to hear good humor? What about level-headedness? That you stay even-keeled no matter what's going on around you. We need people who are like that all across the walks of life. These are gifts from God. That's not in the list, So we have to go about the question, what's my spiritual gift, in a different way? What if your spiritual gift is good ambition? Not selfish ambition, but good ambition. What if your spiritual gift is providing perspective to people? Oh, do we need that? More examples of spiritual gifts that are not specifically contained in these gifts. So God gives us a big helper in these first two verses to understand our own spiritual gifts. Verse 10 and verse 11. All spiritual gifts 
are categorized here. There's two categories. That's it. Two categories for every spiritual gift that God gives. Either the category of speaking or the category of serving with the hands. Whoever speaks, whoever serves. Do you see it in the passage? Speaking, serving, word, deed. Everything falls into those two categories. Peter wrote their spiritual gifts of words, spiritual gifts of action. Both the speaking gifts and the serving skills are used for serving others in the church and even in the world. Acts 6 has the same two categories with reference to the reason that deacons is in office. Because Acts 6 has different vocabulary but the same idea. We find the phrases ministry of the word and ministry of tables. It's word and deed. The gift of speaking is in a different category from those gifts that don't need words. When we use our hands, that's one kind of gift and skill. When we primarily use our minds and our mouths, it's a different category of gift. Now, don't get too technical. I've been using my hands to open my Bible and turn my pages. And when you help somebody, you kind of say words, right? Hey, would you lift the other end of this? We need more butter on this table. Use words even when you're serving with your hands. But you get the idea here. The categorization is here. You understand teaching gifts and non-teaching gifts are the two categories. How do we know? Everyone is a servant, we're told. We're all called to be servants of one another. So let me work through the people in the church. Let me start with pastors. Pastors are servants. While we give honor to pastors, pastors are not in a position of honor, not a position of prestige or advantage. Pastors are in a position of service. A pastor is here to serve you, serve God, and work for you as God's people. It's the same with all church leaders. Elders, deacons, all the officers are not given special seats, given honor that belongs to God alone. I'll give you an example. A couple years ago at the Milwaukee Rescue Mission with a youth group from the church, they were serving a meal, and one of the residents came up into the food line, skipping in line, and told us that he needs to be fed first. And he said, the reason is, I'm on the cleaning crew. I looked at him and I thought, what do you mean you're on the cleaning crew? Clearly he announced it like it's a special access pass. I skip in line in front of everybody else who's not on the cleaning crew because I'm on the cleaning crew. In other words, I'm important. And when I'm important, what it means is I get to eat first. First choice, and then the desserts before they go away, I'll get some. Why is he on the cleaning crew? Is it so that they have a nice, clean mission for everyone to use? He's on the cleaning crew in order to get the special privileges at the time of meals. It's the wrong motivation, sir, to be on the cleaning crew. He should be on the cleaning crew to benefit Others, not himself. And this is why I say this every year, and I get about 10 of you at least who will chastise me in the hallway, and I'm ready for you. But you hear me first. I'm going to say it again. We should not do pastor appreciation. It's a hallmark thing. It's a culture thing. It is not biblical. It's like green eggs and ham. We just don't like it. We don't like it in the city. We don't like it in the woods. We don't like it on Sunday or Thursday or in the summer or the winter. We just don't like pastor appreciation, Sam I am. Why? Because it's against this passage and other passages of God's word. Whenever I have church interns, I teach them this. Hey, since you're an intern pastor, you're training to be a pastor, 
That means you're training to serve other people. So go serve other people. Pastors are not here to get special privileges. Pastors are here to serve. You know what we should have? We should have a Jesus Appreciation Day because he's the one who died and rose again for us. We should do it every week. We should call it the Lord's Day and have it at the beginning of the week. In fact, that's exactly how God set up his church. Christ gets the honor in his church, not pastors. Elders are next. Elders must not desire special privileges. They should say, give me people to serve. Give me stuff to do. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 3.1, if anyone aspires to the office of elder or overseer, he desires a noble what? A noble task. He doesn't desire a noble position, a noble task. Why? Because we follow our Lord in all things, and our Lord did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10.45. What was the task for Jesus? To serve others by giving his life for us at that cross. And since your minister's gifts are for serving others, your elder's gifts and your deacon's gifts are for serving others, your trustees and your chairperson and your co-chairperson, all of the committee's gifts are here for serving others. And even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Then whom did God desire to bless when he gave you a spiritual gift? Was it for you? It's for others. It's for serving God and his people. Did God give you grace and skills just to bless yourself? Your gifts have been given to bless others. Verse 10, the Bible says something to us about our spiritual gifts. It says, use it. The word here is employ. Employ it. Put it to use. Whatever your gifts, they must be put to use. When God has entrusted a special gift to a person, we call that person a steward, a manager of that gift. Whenever we're not using our gifts, we're failing as managers and we're acting as bad managers Each one of us has a gift and therefore automatically a steward of that gift that we've received and we have to employ them. But you object, okay, okay, wait, 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 wait. Uh, I still don't know what my gifts are. You're, You're pushing me pretty hard here and I still don't know what my gifts are. I have a suggestion for you. The best way to discover your gifts is to start serving other people. Find a need. Open your mind, eyes, and ears. Look for the needs that are in this church family And fill them, help them, bless them. Help someone out, do something. That's how you discover your spiritual gifts. It's only logical. Let's say you want to know how far you could throw a Frisbee. You just want to know how many feet and inches it is that you could throw a Frisbee at maximum. What do you do? Sit on the couch, take a pad of paper and a calculator and start figuring? Is that how you figure out how far you can throw a Frisbee? You go outside and you take a Frisbee and you throw it. And then you measure from your foot to the Frisbee, right? God is expecting us to serve other people. And in the serving, we'll be directed and redirected. We discover our serving gifts by serving. How do you know if you make a good muffin and if you don't make us some muffins? I'll eat your muffins. I'll tell you if they're good muffins. What will probably happen is no one can use gifts without at the same time realizing what the gifts are. Hey, these muffins are really good, right? Or if I say to you, let somebody else make the muffins next time, (laughs) then you're redirected. You could have all people in the church. We do this twice on a Sunday, fellowship times. Be ready to be redirected. Maybe you were the only person at the table who noticed that we need butter and napkins and juice on the tables. 
Did I mention that observation is also not across the culture? If you observe that, that's a spiritual gift. And another spiritual gift is actually doing something about it. Get up and go to the kitchen and bring butter and napkins to the tables. Spiritual gifts are intended for serving. And if you don't know what yours are, start by serving anywhere you can find to serve. Secondly, we serve others by the strength that God supplies. You ever get tired? Verse 11, we find this phrase as one who serves by his or her own strength. That's not what it says. As one who serves by the strength that God supplies. All glory be to God that he supplies the strength. You know that Christians burn out? Do you know that Christians need a rest break and those are different from Christians who burn out? Burnout is not because of workload. Burnout is a long-standing failure to come back to God for rest and come back to God for strength to serve again. That's what burnout is. Do you realize that pastors and elders and deacons burn out? It's not from lack of pastor appreciation. It's not because of workload. It's because of failure to come back to God for rest Come back to God for reminders. Come back to God for strength. You need not be concerned for me, by the way. It's the job of the elders to care for me. In fact, I'm called to be an example to you in all of this. It's part of why I announce the things that I do, like taking a break, taking advantage of the OPC retreats. I'm trying to show you that the Christian life is filled with a work-rest balance. Mine too. If mine's not filled with balance, how am I supposed to say it to you? How are you supposed to follow me? How are we supposed to walk through life together if I'm not living what I'm preaching? For all of my serving, I pray to God that I'm getting my strength from God and God alone. In our church, we're all about health, spiritual health, relational health, emotional health, even financial health. If you need to talk to someone about financial health, please approach a deacon. I serve in a balanced way. You're called to serve in a balanced way. We want you to serve and to do so in a balanced and healthy way. We also want you to take breaks. Which is why a week from tomorrow, we'll have elders and deacons who are on three-year terms, trustees who are on one-year terms, taking breaks in between. There's a time for working and a time for resting, and the leadership of this church fully understands that there's other obligations you have with your career, with your health, with your family, and other things. There's times to serve and times to take a break. We understand that. A sermon on serving is not a sermon on making you feel guilty. Not at all. In fact, Christians don't do guilt. It's because God has called us, it's because God has saved us, it's because he's redeemed us and given us the privilege to serve him that we give this reminder. The sermon is to remind us of our permanent call to serve this God who has rescued us and to invite us to get rest and to invite us to come back after resting to serve. That was point one. And point two was to remind us of our source for serving. We don't serve in our own strength. It's so wrong, it's actually silly. We won't make it a single day you serve in your own strength. Serving others with your own strength is like owning a gas station, pumping gas for others, and you run out of gas, and so you start draining your own car to fill the cars. How many cars are you going to fill? Part of one. 
Instead, you call for one of those big tanker trucks to come, the ones that beep, beep as they back up and clear the area, and they fill the underground tanks. When the underground tanks are filled, you can have car after car after car after car after car. We're serving others, and you run out of strength. You simply call on God, who has endless supply of strength for serving his people and giving his gospel to the nations. One of those big tanker trucks of strength from God arrives to give you rest, and then you can continue to serve others. Spiritual gifts are not even something we have in the sense of possessing it. It's more like a pass-through. Spiritual gifts are like a tool shed co-op. What if 10 neighbors decided to build one shed and put all the tools from all 10 families in one shed for everyone to use? Spiritual gifts are what God does through a church family. Spiritual gifts are not your strengths and your abilities. It's God's strength and his abilities on loan to us. So thirdly, we serve others to honor God through Jesus Christ. Notice two words. I tried to emphasize them while I read it. Maybe you picked this up. The two words out of verse 11b. In everything. Let me read it again. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In everything. And so often we restrict our thinking of the glorying of God being done by certain types of serving. The pastor glorifies God in the preaching. The Bible study leader glorifies God in the teaching. And so on. We limit our thinking to only certain things giving credit to God. You know, the the front page type of serving. But just as any grace from God is a spiritual gift, so also anything done in the service of others, anything done in the service of God, gives him glory. Anything at all. You fill just the pepper shaker and you don't do the salt shaker. Well, it's a little awkward, but it gives glory to God. You should have done both, but we'll take it. Thank you for filling one. Right? It, it's anything at all. The goal is spelled out for us in verse 11, that God may be glorified in everything. We don't glorify pastors. We glorify God in everything. There's no qualification on the type of activities that bring honor to God. In fact, the verse says, to Christ belong glory. How dare you give it to a human? He says it in First. Corinthians 10, 31, when Paul writes, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all. He even mentions eating. We need someone to eat the muffins, right? That's your spiritual gift. Eat a muffin for Christ. Do it to the glory of God. I'm going to eat muffins. I'm going to eat two of them for the glory of God, right? Seriously. Someone makes 12 muffins, brings them to the fellowship time. They leave with 12 muffins. Seriously, how does that make them feel? Eat one of the muffins. (laughs) Eat two of the muffins. Don't eat ten of the muffins. That's another sermon. Don't eat ten of the muffins. First catechism question, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God, enjoy him forever. Enjoy the muffin. Glorify God. We serve one another. Notice three more words as I close. Three more words in our study. First Peter 4, 10 and 11. Verse 11 in the middle. Through Jesus Christ. Absolutely key. Through Jesus Christ. We instinctively know, don't we? The perfect, holy Father in heaven can't be glorified by service that imperfect sinners do. It's like me trying to paint the Mona Lisa. Come on. So how does it work? 
How do we believe that what this verse says is true? That God gets glory through our service. How does that work? As one who serves by strength that God supplies in order that God, everything God may be glorified. How does God get glorified? A bump-along jerk like me. How does God get glorified in anything that I try to do? Friends, it's through Jesus Christ. It only works through Jesus Christ. What we do only honors God because of what Christ did. It's only through his death that we're cleansed. It's only through his resurrection that we're empowered. It's only through his redemption that we're justified. We are part of God's family. We're equipped by his spirit. We're able to serve him. We have purified motivations. We have improved skills. We never come to God offering our own service and our own sacrifice and our own obedience as the reason that God is honored. No way. That's works righteousness. It's absolutely false. It's anti-biblical. We have here the key. Through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. As sinners, we dare not approach the holy inner throne of God without first passing through the outer throne of grace. His death and resurrection have caused us to be made alive together with him. And because his grace has been given to us, God decided to receive glory by our service because it's presented to him through Jesus Christ, his son, his perfect son, who was crucified for our wrongs, raised again for our resurrection and justification, has presented us sanctified and cleaned up before the Father and all the efforts that we put in are received through him. That's how it works. God is only glorified in our service through Jesus Christ because to Christ belongs the glory. Anyone who takes the glory from Christ is a glory thief. I will not be a glory thief. I'm going to reject all of you glorifying me. Don't do it. Christ has the glory. It belongs to him. We can never pray, look, Father, what I've done for Jesus Christ. Never. That's not prayer. That's gloating. We pray instead like this. Look, Father, what Christ has done for me. Look what Christ has done for me. And furthermore, what Christ has enabled me to do through Jesus Christ. That's prayer. So what have we seen today? Serve like you're gifted, because you are. Serve like you're supplied with strength, because you are. Serve like you're the hands of Jesus exalting him, because you are, and you do.